0: Better to have a short life that is full of what you like doing than a long life
1: spent in a miserable way. Welcome to Footwork. All right, so Adrian, welcome to Footwork. Um, I mean, to give us to give us a start, or for the listeners, can you tell us where you're from, uh, where you are now, and what you're currently doing?
0: All right, my name is Adrian.
1: I'm uh, from Vienna. And
0: uh, I'm a nutritional scientist, degree at the University of Vienna. Uh, um, uh, My uh, main focus in with my work is on epigenetics and the impact of certain food components of uh, on the epigenome um, of humans. And I do research on these things um, myself in the laboratories, but also do a lot of research online, um, collecting a lot of data and present that um present my knowledge also on my instagram handle um at Rubio Fuerte, uh, which is
1: pretty <laughs> which yes, is legendary so
0: why i'm on this podcast i guess <laughs> and um yeah that's what i'm doing um to uh, get a little into my or to focus a little bit on my past as well i come from a professional sports background um played college tennis in the us in chicago um i also work with a lot of professional athletes in uh, preparation so that's also a big part of my work to give something back to to the community that i have and also to uh give something back to my to my own roots so i uh, sure i just enjoy doing that and
1: uh that's why i implemented that as well that's basically my background awesome um so you, you, If I remember correctly, you did perfu- uh, pursue professional tennis at one point, right? I did,
0: yeah, I did. Um, after finishing high school in Germany,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I um, immediately uh, started playing college tennis because it was too early for me to just start out on the professional tour immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, I simply wasn't good enough at that point. And then I gave it a real go after finishing um the u.s and played for a couple of years on the professional tour at least tried Mm -hmm. um obviously i uh, maybe with the with the training regimen i followed back then it wasn't ideal because i did it pretty much all on my own and the focus was maybe too much a bit on the athletic part with building muscle and building strength etc so um i'm now (laughs) learning from my own mistakes and maybe can help other athletes to avoid these mistakes that I did in the past. Mm -hmm. So, yeah.
2: So what were those, like, what were the specific mistakes that you were doing? Were you, were you lifting? I don't want to say too much, but were you doing different kinds of, or the wrong types of lifts and the wrong types of diets for uh, a tennis player should specifically have? Yeah.
0: I mean, uh, the strength training for a tennis player should be supplemental to basically the, uh, the endurance training and maybe the explosiveness, so some basic strength, of course, is needed. But the way I did it, I thought that with my athleticism, I can basically overpower everybody and play a super aggressive style. Um,
2: <laughs> I so, bet you had a crazy serve, like super fast.
0: Yeah, I was playing serve and volley and uh, chip and charge, which mm-hmm. is not the best idea if you're like most of the time playing on in Europe uh, on um, ITF I'm tournaments. Playing on clay etc so mm-hmm. that's probably not the not the ideal solution
1: <laughs> sure it was exciting to watch though
0: <laughs> yeah that's that's the good part you know it gave me a couple of uh great deals with some sponsors but <laughs> that's <laughs> that was the, the the best part of it but uh, my ranking wasn't that ideal at the time so mm.
1: right so how how did you transition into the path that you're on now i mean that's uh I mean, you're deep into it. Uh, Like you said, you're getting, you're working on your doctorate uh, at the the moment, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, So how did you transition from that into what you're doing now?
0: Well, I was always the kind of guy that tried to find a balance between athleticism and um, cognitive abilities as well. So I was Mm -hmm. always always studying, basically. Um, Never a biggest fan of school systems per se, but learning the things that um, I'm intrinsically interested in, which is nutrition and performance optimization. Mm -hmm. And I always Mm -hmm. did that. Basically, I started that when I was 12 years old, so it came naturally to me. And also during uh, my professional career which wasn't that successful but i um always was uh, signed in at the university uh doing some courses at least even okay. uh even if i was traveling i tried to learn and study on the mm-hmm. side and um yeah that's that's how i did that you know after after uh you know how do you say? After acknowledging that I'm not going to make it to the into the top 100 <laughs> on the ATP mm-hmm. tour, I gave mm-hmm. it the more of a, of a focus on, on my degree. But mm-hmm. um, still, I was always uh, doing something at least to uh, mm-hmm. to to raise my cognitive abilities as
2: well. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, is there is there a difference between a nutritional scientist and nutritionist? I'm I'm not very oh, I'm so aware on the subject
0: i um, not 100% sure, but I think the degrees are a bit different because a nutritionist or the nutritionist thing is, I think, uh, what they call it in the US, the degree and the nutritional scientist is more of a specified chemist. I think there is a difference, but I can't really explain it because I don't know how exactly the, um, the courses look in the US because I, uh, oh, I did see. sports science when I was in the US. But I think there is a difference, yes. So I think a nutritionist is more like what we call here a dietitian. And a nutritional scientist is, um, we do the lab work, a lot of analysis, and it's really more like like a biochemist slash chemist. Um, Okay. I have have a degree in chemistry as well. So, and that's just because there is not so much additional courses that you have to do to finish that degree as well, because it's very close. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I think that's something or the nutritionist really focuses more on food components and um, nutrition plans, et cetera. And he's not that much into biochemistry and all those, all those subjects.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. And, and what are you doing exactly now? Could you kind of describe it a bit more because that's not, uh, I mean, you have, so you have Rubio Fuerte, you're, you're helping athletes and you have awesome posts in my opinion that with uh, easily digestible, but also great science explanations. Um, Is that, kind of together with what you're working on day to day? Or is that kind of something on the side that you started a long time ago, and you continue to keep up with?
0: Well, right now, I'm not uh, in the laboratories myself, I'm going to be getting back there uh, at the beginning of October. But during this entire COVID situation, I put that aside a bit because the conditions to work in the labs were just not acceptable for me you know standing for eight hours in the labs with your mask on is not the ideal (laughs) ideal thing to do
2: so tough yeah Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) so um i wasn't gonna do that but yeah right now i'm really focusing on on the clients that i have i have a couple of professional boxers in in my mentorship that i'm Mm -hmm. working um especially during preparation pretty much on a daily basis getting the nutrition and uh Other things that come along with that intact Mm -hmm. and um, these Instagram posts um, they don't make much of my daily work those just come up um, spontaneously I'd say if I have an idea I can put that together with a couple of clicks and uh, this writing stuff um, is also comes very natural to me you know I I I, I really enjoy sitting down and uh, and texting and stuff like that so expressing my thoughts da, there so doesn't take that much of an effort so the right. basic, the main work that i'm doing right now is focusing on the athletes that i'm working with mm-hmm. and hopefully um this winter uh, respectively fall i can do much uh, more work in the labs as well
2: got it can you can you touch a little bit on um maybe the balance um that goes into being a boxer the, the help that you're giving whether it be the types of things that you explain in their diet or training or, um, basically just the, the help that you, that you give boxers.
0: Um, well, that's really an individual subject because obviously it makes a huge difference if you have to cut somebody back into a certain weight class, or if you have um, a heavy weight that doesn't have to cut weight on a specific, mm-hmm. to a specific date, that's for mm-hmm. example, a huge difference. But, um, yeah, one of the major things why people typically contact me is that um, during intense sparring sessions, I have a special regimen that they can use to uh, induce anti-inflammatory processes. Because when you put so, mu- put so much stress on the body, um, sparring maybe two sessions a day, um, maybe two or three weeks out from the fight, um, that puts ex- extreme tension and uh, extreme mm-hmm. pressure on the fighters. And for example, um, what I do with lightweight athletes in that sense is putting them into ketosis. So another metabolic state, um, which has anti-inflammatory uh, purposes in that sense, mm-hmm. and uh, helps them to get through those uh, extreme periods. Um, and yeah, I think that's really, it's really a big help to work one-on-one with, a, with some la- someone like me during those intense sparring sessions because those uh, boxing trainers and uh, their fitness coaches etc they just push them really hard without focusing too too much on the preventative part of it because mm. a lot of fights get canceled because of injuries and inflammation in joints and stuff like that and it can be avoided uh, in most cases <laughs> if you just uh uh induce some small adoptions and improvements and that's what i'm basically doing
1: right and this is i mean obviously this is people pay you for this but you're doing this through like you said ketosis is that through uh diet and what they're eating through supplements or both both typically but the state of ketosis is achievable uh
0: if you base your diet on fats basically and moderate protein because otherwise. When the protein is too high you'll uh, induce a process called gluconeogenesis so you'll mm-hmm. synthesize uh, carbohydrates from protein that's not what you want you want to keep a state of ketosis up and that mm-hmm. state um, really helps to get uh, as mentioned through those sparring per- uh, periods you can't do that with heavyweight athletes of course because though, those guys train too intense and they have too high physical work ratio if you want to call it that way they burn too much energy to put them into into a state like that they will have trouble getting too much fat in um because we're talking about um over five thousand calories per day uh, Mm. for people like those and if you consume that primarily with fat that's going to induce some digestive issues etc so that's not Mm -hmm. an option there but there are still opportunities of course with little tricks and twists to uh, help them achieve sure. similar results
2: <laughs> right. always now yeah. um Go we're on. primarily a a, a football soccer based audience so i would love to touch on maybe um i mean we we can dive as deep i guess as we want but um do you would you like to work with footballers in the future
0: i did a couple of times actually i have a couple okay. of uh um Yeah, professionals from the second major league so the second bundesliga in germany that that are working with me currently as well um and i also did um the uh, dietary regimen for a couple of professional teams in the past um so yeah i did that already a couple of times but um i'm not going to uh get back on doing that with a full team again i -hmm. think the individual coaching is much more um what is really helping the people right um mm-hmm. you have you get much, much better overview about what exactly is going on and uh, for a single person it's not doable to do that with an entire team yeah for so sure.
2: in the, you worked with two second bundesliga you worked for the entire teams so you were giving out generalized plans i guess
0: yeah i got contacted from uh from the management team uh, of a couple of uh, professional soccer teams Um, if I can put together some dietary recommendations in general for Mm -hmm. them, because they already have a cook and uh, they can provide the food, but they wanted a professional regimen for them to perform on the highest level and basically implement them, implement that themselves without me being actual, actually part of the team uh, at that particular place, but doing that like from, from over here in Austria. Mm -hmm. I
1: see. And obviously, like you said, working with a team uh, or giving it, a, a diet plan for a team for a chef to cook and working one-on-one is significantly different. Um, but Mm -hmm. is there something maybe that our audience or of the footballers that listen to here, uh, maybe something you see footballers lack or maybe something that hinders their performance or something that can really help their performance?
0: Generally, I think in a sport like, uh, soccer, there is a huge improvement or a nutritional behavior in general, because most of the teams that I know, um, knowledge that they have is really not the not the best mm-hmm. uh, on those specific, specific subjects so they don't if i talk to professional soccer players um they, they try to eat right for whatever that means for them but it's not that they have a specific regimen like a professional bodybuilder or a professional boxer mm-hmm. would have in order to achieve a specific result that's rarely the case they um and I mean, meal timing and the specific optimization of certain uh, minerals and vitamins plays a huge role uh, for the ideal performance in a match for soccer players as well. And I think um, at least the elite professionals uh, should have uh, a private uh, nutritional scientist or dietitian or whatever to achieve the best possible results, which I think the absolute best they have it. I don't think that Cristiano Ronaldo is working without a dietitian in his team. Um, but but yeah, uh, there's a lot of room for imp- uh, for uh, for improvement in general. I'd say mm-hmm. that's uh, I I don't know exactly why that is. I mean, those teams typically have a cook. They typically yeah. have nutritionists nutritionist, but still, the the regimens that they do it's it's really not ideal. What mm-hmm. uh, from what I see.
1: I mean, can you speak on that? What you see or what you've seen they do that you really think is not you know not beneficial for the players well they basically follow a
0: stigma for everyone it's like one one fit for all mm-hmm. they meet up with a team before a match like one hour before and have a portion of pasta for everyone and they try to, yeah yeah get uh, get the glycogen stores full right. like and uh and then go into the match you know And I don't think that's the best solution for every individual. As mentioned, ketosis, for example, is an intervention that works well for a lot of endurance athletes, and they they have the opportunities to test for mineral deficiencies. They have the opportunities to test for vitamin deficiencies. And I don't know why a professional team where so much money and so much effort is uh, is there to improve the performance, why they don't do anything to work with the material that they have in order to optimize the, the performance of their players. I don't, I really, I really don't know <laughs> why why they're not doing it. Yeah. yeah I, would a- think,
2: I would think maybe some, at some certain level, like a, a Manchester City or a Bayern Munich maybe, but I guess across the board, especially in teams in lower first tier or second tier, um you would you would hope that they like you said they definitely have the resources to do these things so it's it's quite peculiar why they're why they're choosing not to and they're choosing to do a one-size-fits-all instead yeah exactly
0: i mean uh if i compare that for example to amateur bodybuilders i mean the the worst or or not the worst but not not professional amateurs we're talking about amateurs here they stick to a very individual and very precise nutritional and dietary. Plan optimized with supplementation and also with, um, yeah. How do you? Yeah, I don't know if we can talk honest here about PEDs and stuff like that. But of course, all of also that is uh, is optimized for them. Mm-hmm. They and they don't have like any any regrets or shame to talk about these things. They they just optimize that ideally. And we're talking not about professional level. They don't have too much money, but they know that this is. Yeah, a vital subject, a huge component for for their individual success if they want to reach the, the best performance that they can get. And then on the other hand, you have professional teams in the second uh, major league where already super high budgets are paid, and they don't focus on these things. Um, and I think also to just be more efficient with what they're doing, with like the cost and effect the ratio. There's just with minimal input, there could be much more, much more outcome, yeah. <laughs> the individual performance. Yeah. Could be raised.
2: Now, I mean I, that- I mean, I would love to talk about it, Sean, I'm sorry, but he mentioned PEDs. And I would love to, to know more about um, maybe some knowledge you have in terms of what professional athletes are doing and and what are some of the things that they get away with on a regular basis. I don't know if you know, in, in soccer terms, if, if there are certain supplements that, the top level guys are all taking and then you, it kind of filters out or in any sports really where people are, whether it's legal or, you know, really on that fine line or are getting away with using these types of performance enhancing drugs.
0: Well, obviously I won't, uh, generalize that for everyone here, but I know that these things are used in also in professional soccer, uh, firsthand. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah it plays a huge role and during rehabilitation so after an injury also in soccer there is no uh, drug restrictions so and during that time of course that plays a huge role especially when in, when you have someone with like severe knee injuries or stuff like that they they'll basically do everything to make that guy able to play again and then of course things like growth hormone and testosterone suspension are used in order to regrow the tissue as fast as possible Mm -hmm. that's not that's without without question um but of course in order to uh, induce or you know you can think about it that way if some guys have approximately 50 playing 50 matches per season um it's very unlikely that they're not using some sort of PAD that raise, uh, that raises their endurance levels. <laughs> right. It's very unlikely because sure. it's uh, it's just not doable for a human body. Um, you can just just rational thinking here. It's it's just not possible from my right. perspective, and I don't. Uh, I, I have not seen anyone on that level that is not doing uh, anything uh, in order to. Right. Uh, or yeah, something or anything in their power to, uh, to achieve the best level that they can get.
1: Right. Especially in terms of recovery, it's not necessarily like, you know, bodybuilders using it, but it's more, like you said, you're playing 50 games in a year. Sometimes you have three days rest in between. I mean, the body is not, is not built to handle that. Um, now what, what are some specifics in terms of performance and drugs that you know that people are using in the game? I mean, I know a few years ago, there was a huge thing, uh, forgetting the steroid, but it was like a horse steroid. I'm forgetting the exact one, but there was like a big bust, uh, especially with a lot of South American players. I know they caught them, but I'm sure, like you said, in the English Premier League and the Bundesliga, I'm sure they're just finding the loopholes and using whatever is in that gray area, like Dylan said.
0: Yeah. And of course, it really depends also if you talk about anabolic steroids, for example, it depends on which esters you're using and how long you can test for these things. Mm -hmm. You know, when you work with professionals and they know how long, (laughs) how the tests work, it's pretty easy to curve around um, the tests and uh, get away with it pretty easily. And um, especially when you work with peptides, which are, out of the system pretty much uh, immediately after mm-hmm. the usage, then uh, it's, it's fairly easy. But as mentioned, you know the, the, football, the, the football players use it for different purposes, mainly for recovery, um, to be able to play again um, in, a, in a shorter frequency, if you want to call it that way. Um, and obviously things like um, growth hormone, for example, and certain peptides are used very often to just regenerate faster. Mm-hmm. right um, and then you have obviously things like erythropoietin which would be a steroid in order to to raise the red blood cells for example it's a typical mm-hmm. steroid that is used in order to uh, raise endurance performance you have things like winstrol, which are which is a steroid that doesn't raise your body weight that much it mm-hmm. doesn't make you too muscular but it raises your your power, your explosive, uh, expl- what do you, how do you call it? Forcivity. Yeah, forcivity, explosive power um, mm-hmm. without gaining too much weight. So it just gets gets you stronger um,
1: without an, an obvious. Right.
2: <laughs> without an obvious, yeah. yeah.
1: In, in one month, I'm looking like you on the football field. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there are,
0: there are tips and tricks. Uh-huh. Right, how, how to do it and how not to do it yeah so, i wonder right. what adama so traore us,
1: is on do you know who that is sure. huh adama traore I, uh, it... I know that guy the muscular yeah, yeah, guy he, freaking... isn't that
0: the guy that is playing with oil on his arms yes exactly.
1: and he says
2: he doesn't lift he claims he doesn't lift weights yeah but he Just does like
1: he does resistance stuff with yeah thing? it's it's not no no no, no. it's like uh not Kaiser training, but something like that where it's like the more I'm forgetting the the word for it, but it's like the more you put the more you put out the the more it resist. you're familiar with that Adrian it's like uh I know there's one device where it's like a wheel and it's almost mm-hmm. like a deadlift it hooks to your hips, and the mm-hmm. more you pull or you you push up, the harder it resists
2: hmm.
0: Not sh- not exactly sure what the name mean. of
1: it, but anyway, I've, I've seen him doing that. But either way, he's freaking jacked, and yeah,
0: <laughs> he's in shape.
1: He- he's playing every <laughs> week, so I don't know how he's not. <laughs> he's gaining muscle. He's not losing it. That's for sure. Yeah, I think he appears
0: very muscular on photos. He's. he's uh, I don't think he's that heavy because then he would appear slow on the field. But I yeah. think he's very very jacked and very athletic. Obviously, very
1: fast the fastest footballer at the moment
0: yeah he looks like he looks like a sprinter from the olympics or something
1: yeah or running back <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: yeah he does look like a running back man give him the ball <laughs>
1: um yeah i mean so let's let's go in. i mean maybe we talk about it's it's not it's so personalized but w- what dylan and i uh, eat or take um what are thoughts about uh, like something Dylan and I consistently take uh, protein post-workout, post-training session. Um, personally, I take creatine uh, every day, five grams. Um, I've just heard or read things about uh, that helps with immune system recovery. Um, ATP doesn't really, in, in football, it's, that's so quick, that's gone, but I feel for more recovery um, and the immune system that yeah, for me, that that's one of the main reasons that I, I'm sticking with creatine and what, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, it makes a lot of sense. Creatine is just another phosphate that you have in your muscle cells. So it basically recovers at ATP faster. hmm. Um, gives you gives you more energy potential so that definitely makes sense also for soccer players I mean you're mm-hmm. holding more weight in your body when you supplement creatine because mm-hmm. it is hygroscopic so it's going to pull water into your muscle cells and uh, mm-hmm. make you a more full more a more rounder look if so to mm-hmm. say But that definitely makes sense It's a supplement that works pretty much for every athlete and supplementing protein, of course, also makes sense. I mean, for a soccer player, I don't think the calorie intake is typically that high, so most of the protein can be covered with natural foods as well. But supplementing a high-quality whey protein, like a uh, like an isolate or something, mm-hmm. after work is that's perfectly usable as well. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, other than that, I think for a soccer player, just um, a healthy diet. Basic, based on natural whole foods mm-hmm. um, with the right balance of what exactly works for the individual with proof of concept. So it's a bit try and error, trial and error if you right. work better on, on high fat or high carbohydrates for endurance sports. Mm-hmm. Um, there's both. <laughs> so it's a, an indiv- individual question, mm-hmm. but it focuses on the basics of, of a healthy nutrition, natural whole foods, like uh, animal-based protein with a uh, medium With uh, medium fat content and some high quality carbohydrates you'll be good to go and then Mm -hmm. adjusting that with the with the right supplementation uh, because we always have to think about the fact that um, food quality is on a general decline so the mineral and vitamin content content of the foods that we buy from the supermarket is constantly Mm -hmm. decreasing so the relevance of supplementation raises along with it mm-hmm. so especially when you have a high physical expenditure that comes uh, or gets gets super relevant so right. the uh, supplementation maybe could be adjusted with things like magnesium vitamin k2 and mm-hmm. vitamin d and and all those essentials especially when you're referring to um raising your immunity as well with which makes sense with the protein i mean the uh, The immune uh, system that we have bases on immune structures so you need protein for that obviously Mm -hmm. but um, things like vitamin d and k2 and magnesium for example um, would be would be things that uh, make sense to supplement along with it Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. i think there's a common misconception amongst i guess maybe lower level athletes and even maybe higher level athletes the to get your carbs from rice or pastas you know very basic things so can you, can you tell us maybe why you, you would feel that that's probably a major misconception and how you would change that for, for athletes?
0: Yeah, that's a bit of a controversial su- subject, um, but I don't think that um, pro- uh, any sort of processed carbohydrate should be the base of someone's diet. And we, when we talk about white rice, for example, or pasta, we're talking about a refined carbohydrate in flour or that white rice. And whenever you refine something and take away the micronutrients and vitamins basically of a food and all that's left is the carbohydrates, you're going to deplete your metabolism of those uh, vitamins and minerals Mm -hmm. because those carbohydrates don't metabolize themselves. Um, You need endogenous vitamins and minerals to, to metabolize those. And it just makes more sense to have that in your food already. So Going with whole foods, Um, so for example, if you want to go for a carbohydrate-dense foods, nevertheless, um, maybe brown rice or potatoes would be the better solution Mm -hmm. Um, if it has to be uh, high in carbohydrates. um, Still, you can use some or a bit of white rice right before a match, for example, because otherwise, um, it's a bit conflicting with the high fiber content that you have in those Um, other foods Mm -hmm. and you don't want to have a full stomach when you're going onto the the pitch right so uh, um, right before a match it might it might make sense to um, have some sort of uh, processed carbohydrate along with the right supplementation to rebalance Mm -hmm. the potential um, micronutrient um, depleting effect Um, But other than that, after a match or as a general basis of the diet, it makes sense to focus on the whole foods that are not processed. Right, That would be my recommendation in that sense.
2: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, Another thing that I find just from looking at um, Rubio Fuerte is you've highlighted oils quite a few times. I think that's another thing that goes um, overlooked even not necessarily in athletes. So can you tell us maybe about which oils you would use, which ones you wouldn't, and why one would be so much better than the other?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, First of all, when we talk about extraction of a fat from a certain food, we're talking about uh, a step of processing again. That's the first thing that we have to notice. Um, So it's not ideal to consume extracted fats from my perspective. It's not ideal to, to consume or base your diet on, on, on any form of processed food and uh, oils fit into that list. Now there's a huge difference between seed oils and what I call fruit oils. You need much more energy and much more pressure to extract uh, a fat from, for example, um, something like a sunflower seed compared to uh, fat that is not in the seed, but in the fruit itself, like in an avocado or an olive. Mm-hmm. So that process of um, uh, of processing is not that severe, like when you extract it from, from the seed. The seed is the part of the plant that the plant doesn't want you to eat, because that's for reproduction. And that's also why the anti-nutrient and uh, phytotoxin density in those components is that high you don't have that in those fruits Mm -hmm. and that's also why the fat um, distribution from omega-3 to omega-6 for example in seeds typically is not as good as you have it in fruit oils it's not ideal for consumption Mm -hmm. so if you want to consume an oil i would go with something that is extracted from a fruit like the olive or avocado, mm-hmm. or you go with something more neutral, like a saturated fat that's coming from animals. So if you have something like lard or butter, that's perfectly to use as well.
1: Um, yeah, what about coconut be- oil? That fits that's into kind of that the, list as well. Same that's thing, right? That's, that's a saturated fat as well. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, and also, also uh, in terms of eating whole foods or processed foods in this case, processed foods are usually uh, filled with these seed oils correct which often yeah Uh, it's easy to
0: uh, it's easy to produce uh, refined carbohydrates and seed oils it's Mm -hmm. not it's cheap and um, it also has a positive feedback loop in terms of its nutrient depleting effect so you can sell um, cheap foods and upsell that with a costly um inter medical intervention afterwards basically mm-hmm. <laughs> that's right. health care one one <laughs> yeah yeah for sure so not the best option i mean those seed oils typically are omega-6 dominant mm-hmm. um so they're put, putting you uh putting your balance of omega-3 uh, and omega-6 out of range so the pro and anti-inflammatory processes in your body you need inflammation to a certain degree um, to fight infections uh, for example but if it's getting out of control and you get omega-6 dominant it puts um, your arachidonic cyclus uh, out of range that's the process where uh, omega-3 and omega-6 uh, um, components are metabolized and okay. once that happens you get into a state of chronic inflammation with all sorts of negative effects that you don't want to have So it really makes a lot of sense to uh, also especially for soccer players or professional athletes as well to get a good ratio of omega-3 to omega-6. So um, yeah, also that's also a subject uh, with the supplementation. So omega-3 supplementation can make uh, a lot of sense as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, there's, I mean, I, I personally have been uh, very, I mean, I've spoken to you outside of the podcast that I'm, very interested into nutrition but there's there's so much uh there's always a, m- a million things and new science coming out um <laughs> yeah i mean I, I we could dive deeper on that or what about something like uh i mean caffeine and it's for it's obviously it's performance uh, enhancing effects but as well as when you overuse caffeine uh, the detriment it does to your body or has on your body
0: well, um, caffeine is a stimulant and mm-hmm. you can use that to your advantage or to your disadvantage depending on the dosage and the frequency that you're using it. Mm-hmm. Um, it can make sense to use that punctual or how do you say, to specific event to raise your right. performance along with other stimulants as well. So if you have something like uh, stack that with taurine and piperine, for example, right before a match um, and get so another... Stack that
2: with, stack that with what?
0: taurine and piperine, for example. I don't know if piperine is the right English term, but that's pretty much an extract that you get from black pepper. Um, another yeah. stimulant component. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and those have um, reinforcing effects. So if you combine those components, you can raise the effect without using one component in a super high dosage, which, which is pretty much the onset for side effects. Right. That's also what, also what typically induces the side effects uh, with with PEDs. If you have uh, the opportunity to combine certain components in low dosages to maximize their effect and uh, make an exponential effect by just using different components that play with each other, it makes a lot more sense than, for example, supplementing um, more caffeine. Um, That's typically not what you should do. Right. But, yeah, you can use that to your advantage um, if you use it right before a match as a stimulant, for example. Mm-hmm. But if you're depending on it just to uh, for your cognitive abilities right. and to wake up, and up in 12, the morning, twelve grams, uh, twelve cups of coffee per day—that's <laughs> that's, probably, that's uh, not going to be the best solution. Sure.
1: <laughs> sure. Another thing, uh, Don, I want to speak about. I mean, we're both uh, definitely proponents of eating uh, animal proteins and whatnot, and are aware of maybe a lot of not fake news, but there's, um, you know, factory farming and stuff is not a good thing, but there's also a lot of, uh, fake or false information out there. Uh, putting a vegan diet, um, is healthier than eating animal fats, but then you have all this processed food in these diets. Um, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, generally I'm, uh, not 100% against a vegan diet or a plant-based diet. I think, mm-hmm if you base your diet on natural whole foods um, Mm -hmm. that's that's the basis of everything and if that's animal based or plant based or somewhere in between isn't that much or or is a slight difference um but that's that's pretty much the basis i i think the the sweet spot for like most of the population is somewhere in between. So a combination of unprocessed whole animal-based and unprocessed uh, plant-based foods. So mm-hmm. vegan diets have their place, for example, mm-hmm. um, for people with certain preconditions. Um, so certain cancer types obviously benefit from from a vegan diet, for example. And if you have someone with a phenylketonuria, which is an amino acid metabolization malfunction, um, there's almost no other option than a vegan diet in order to mm-hmm. have some sort of life quality left in that particular sense. So right. um, mm-hmm. vegan diets have their place, but this huge mainstream attack on animal-based protein is, from my perspective, more an attempt to force people into artificial products from that are, once again, easy and right. cheap to produce. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's... You know i don't know i don't want to go into this conspiracy thing too much <laughs> and uh, and go too crazy with my yeah. claims here but um i see uh yeah n- very negative trend so yeah, yeah mm. i i can only agree with what you what you intended to say there yeah
2: it's it's funny because when you i've just from personal experience talking to people who say that they've tried or they've gone vegan for the for a few weeks or they've tried to go vegan and they they always claim like I feel much better, and it just—it seems to me it's because yeah, you've increased your your vegetable, fruit, and natural foods consumption way up from from what you were. But now, like you said, you have these products like I don't know if you I don't know if it's just U.S. based, Sean, but there's I'm sure there's many oh, have products here. throughout. But um, one of the biggest ones in America is Beyond Meat. Have you ever heard yeah. of this? Yeah, and you have
0: from over here.
2: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So they have you have people like um, Kevin Hart promoting it and stuff, and they promote it as healthy and a good alternative source. And I mean, what would you say? What are what is actually in these kinds of things, and and why is that not a good um, source of, or it's not even a source of, but a good replacement for for protein uh, animal based protein foods?
0: Well, that that answer is pretty easy because when you were talk about um, unprocessed whole foods those foods don't need an ingredient list right if you have a natural whole food it consists of the meat it consists of the apple it consists of the spinach whatever it is but if you talk about the beyond meat you can't produce that without a chemist like myself in order to get those components with the right bliss point and the right uh, consistency in order to make that consumable for people it's an ultra A processed food bunched together of all the trash that they can think of to achieve the consistency and consider and yeah it's it's not a it's not a good product Um, and that's the that's the really bad thing I think that's also what induces a lot of confrontation between this animal-based and plant-based community because the plant-based itself is not the problem but products like beyond meat those are the problem you don't want to have that in your diet it's not better than ultra processed cheeseburger that is in uh, that you can get in the supermarket as well
2: yeah.
0: whenever something has a suit needs like uh, I don't know a long list of ingredients right. where most of the population can't even pronounce what is uh, what is on that list and never have heard of it um, then it's an indicator of something weird going on
1: it's <laughs> a nice way to put it
2: <laughs> I know that there's um there's some websites. I think I used to use one at one point. I can't remember what it was, but it was it was basically you would scan the barcode and then it would talk about the ingredients um and what they are and then give it a score or something like this have you ever uh, have you ever heard of these these types of apps or websites?
0: Yeah, I think they're testing in some countries also yeah yeah I've I've heard about that yeah. Mm -hmm. um also that's that's a good thing that's the thing with those products because in most countries they rank that as super preferable over animal based products based on the apps that you already mentioned and that is Mm -hmm. severe misinformation that's nothing else that's Mm -hmm. that's where where it gets where it gets harming and where it's not like funny or anything in that sense it's just severe misinformation and if people think that they can substitute meat products with uh this beyond meat stuff and think they can health-wise get away with it in the long run they are on a very bad path
2: mm. right yeah completely agree yeah totally agree um, on that <laughs> another thing we haven't we haven't mentioned yet or touched on i guess is is sugar and sugar consumption um of course, we're picking your brain right now, so I know a lot of these things can be quite uh, generalized and um, and such, but um, can you just talk about maybe, are, are there are there ways to get sugar in, or is sugar always bad, or are there ways to get sugar in if it's in um, certain foods, or um, I guess in, in sweets and these processed foods, obviously, we've, we've talked about the dangers of them, but um, should people be very afraid of their sugar intake, and Maybe what are some ways to to break it for those who are you know kind of addicted to the consumption?
0: Um, well, sugar addiction is is another subject, another full subject. But if it's about the sugar in itself. Um, that's not the threat. The threat is the processing that we already discussed. So, uh, sugar and whole fruits and whole foods is a complete different story than refined sugar, uh, mm-hmm. refined sucrose that you can buy in this, uh, uh, that you can buy in the supermarket. And um, there's not much of a difference to refined starch products like white rice and refined sugar that you can buy in, buy in the supermarket because those starches are nothing else than a long chain of glucose molecules. Um, mm-hmm. which get, bre- that, which get break, uh, broken down easily by the body without putting any energy in that by an uh, enzyme called amylase. So um, there's not much of a difference. So the only difference um, or the, the, the sugar in itself or the carbohydrates are not the problem. Um, how many you need or if you should consume carbohydrates depends on your individual purpose and what you're mm-hmm. trying to do. Um, What we have to keep in mind is that carbohydrates are a non-essential macronutrient, so you can live without uh, alimentary consumption of carbohydrates. That's what uh, non-essential means. Essential means that you have to alimentary consume a food component in order to keep up all body functions. And that's not the case with uh, carbohydrates because we already talked about gluconeogenesis. You can generate carbohydrates from, for example, protein. Um, But... That doesn't make carbohydrates or sugar in them in itself a bad thing um it depends on the context and um, i'm not arguing against whole fruits or whole vegetables at all um what is another subject what you already mentioned is sugar addiction so if someone Mm -hmm. is um trying to recover or break the frame of sugar addiction it can make sense to cut out fruits and starchy products As well over a certain period of time to just not trigger back the old old, uh, behavior because what those people are addicted to is not the sugar but a dopamine response in their brain and you can trigger that response um, with uh, sugars from fruit for example as well and then the fruit will trigger back the old behavior of uh, cravings for certain sweets so it can make sense to cut those out uh, over over a shorter period of time, but not for the vast, or not not in general, fruit and vegetables have a place in human nutrition, that's for sure.
1: Right, right. Now, uh, what about, does honey fit in the, because it's not, it's not processed, but it is extremely high sugar content, is that is that would you put that in the fruit side of sugar? Or would you put that in the refined sugar side of things?
0: Yeah, and in, in moderate consumption, even honey is fine to consume, because it's it's a natural product, you have a lot of enzymes in the honey as well. Mm-hmm. So if it really isn't that, you know, there's honey that is processed, so which is um, heating up uh, in order to basically give it a longer shelf life, for example. Right, right. And if you do that, you destroy enzymes and get the benefits of the natural product away once again,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that's not something that you want to. <laughs> no, that's not something that right. you want to have. Right. But the natural honey is perfectly fine. Yeah. I luckily it's have the same a, bee with, guy. Uh,
2: <laughs> a natural. Is it the same with a, a natural uh, maple syrup as well?
0: I'm not 100. No, no. The maple syrup is is an extract of of that tree, right? I'm not 100 mm-hmm. percent sure what right. that exactly. Yeah,
2: yeah, the maple tree, yeah
0: yeah no no that that would be you need, once again you need a lot of energy to get that sugar out of that plant i wouldn't uh right that that, that uh pops up a couple of questions <laughs> on that product yeah, so I'm yeah. Not, not too supportive
1: with maple syrup <laughs> <laughs> you, don't, you don't you don't think pancakes and maple syrup is healthy
0: <laughs> uh, i wouldn't go to i too much 400 cars before breakfast
1: before before noon <laughs> um, yeah, another, skip yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shout out all Americans. Um, <laughs> another, uh, another. I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with Dr. Rhonda Patrick. She's kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Dylan and I are huge fans of what she has to say, and uh, yeah, I think she's very uh, insightful. But she has, especially uh, with the the recent pandemic, but beforehand, um, vitamin D, she spoke about, uh, particularly with immune, uh, or uh, issues with the lungs, and I found in my personal case, uh, for whatever reason, because we play football throughout the winter, I always tended to get this, um, this dry cough, I mean, this is going deep into it. But ever since supplementing with vitamin D and vitamin C, throughout the winter, uh, that cough, I do not get anymore. Um, and do you have any insight into what, why it's important for people to take vitamin D number one, or maybe, uh, what vitamin D does to our bodies and why it's important to supplement it?
0: Um, well, first of all, vitamin D is not really a vitamin. It's, uh, from its structure, it's more a hormone. It's an androgen okay. basically, uh, or a steroid better to say, not an androgen. It's a steroid. Mm-hmm. So it's based on cholesterol. Um, and you synthesize that mainly uh, by exposing yourself to sunlight. From right. the cholesterol. Um, well, vitamin D is a complex subject because it has a lot of uh, functions in the body. It's basically like mm-hmm. what what the liver is to the metabolism is vitamin D to uh, in terms of uh, of uh, hormones or vitamins, so to say. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of things that it's, that it does um, but it plays a huge role in immune defense, uh, which mm-hmm. is maybe something where it helped in your particular situation, but of right. course it also, um, with, uh, with the, how do you say the physiology of the bones, for example, it plays a huge role in the mineralization, um, mm-hmm. of, of the bones as well. And it has a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, benefits if you keep your vitamin D intake in range. So, that's also why, um, why a question pops up. If you wanna raise the immunity of people, why you shut them down in, into their apartments. That's, that's a vital question in that mm-hmm. sense.
1: <laughs> and uh, this, I mean, this just came up in my head. I, I was listening to a podcast today that reminded me of, do you recommend or where would you recommend someone does um, like a, a blood panel to see maybe things that they're lacking? I mean, is that something that you do with the athletes that you work with? Because otherwise, yeah. it's very difficult to see what you're lacking in terms of minerals and vitamins.
0: Um, yeah, I do it with a combination of individual feedback of the athletes and with mm-hmm. blood panels. Because those blood panels typically just refer to one specific parameter, which is not enough to supervise the state of a of a component in your body and the, the mineral or vitamin status. Mm-hmm. So you do that in a combination of asking critical and specific questions on how someone feels and uh, the feedback of the athlete and combine that with what you see on the lab panel. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not a big, you know, I'm a scientist myself, but I'm not a big fan of those scientists that, you know, just focus on, on lab panels and lab parameters. Mm -hmm. That's not how it works because if someone comes to, uh, comes to you and, you know, says, He's, he doesn't feel right and the blood panel looks fine and uh, doctors sent them back home because everything seems to be okay, um, I don't think that's the right attempt. You wanna, you wanna ask critically and you wanna look for a constructive solution for that. So, um, and you can sometimes, for example, with complex components like vitamin D, um, also the ideal level fluctuates a lot. So it can be that, the vitamin D level is in the lower range of okay, but still, it for that individual, um, it still might be deficient and might be uh, beneficial to try to raise that. And um, yeah, that's why I go with the combination of those and vitamin. And if you have like slight anxieties, uh, anxiety symptoms, slight um, or tendency to get the cold easily. And typical vitamin d issues um it doesn't hurt to just try to raise the levels and see if it has a beneficial effect if you don't completely go crazy with dosages um there's no harm in just trying to focus on those um essential components nevertheless
1: right yeah there's i mean there's like you said it's very personalized with all that um but that was something i've been interested in in possibly doing but Maybe working with with someone like yourself, uh, just to go through the, to optimize myself and performance uh, best. Yeah, yeah.
0: You have to, you know you always have to keep in mind that there's a lot of like. We already got into that area of conspiracy a bit, but never no, uh, never mind. But they are always on the decline. For example, if you look at the ideal levels of, for example, of a component like testosterone, mm-hmm. uh, the ideal level decreased uh, recommended by the who decreased for the past 10 years every year so someone that is now in the ideal levels of testosterone would 10 years ago uh, would have been severely deficient so you always have to think critically a bit and especially when we talk about such vital components um don't generalize these things and just go with a bit of trial and error as long as you're not inducing some severe side effects potentially. But right. there is room for improvement and you always have to, have to be critical with the information that you're getting.
1: Sure, sure. Um, I also, I also want to talk about, uh, we, we haven't really touched on it that much, about uh, Rubio Fuerte, the kind of brand you've built on Instagram. Where did that start from?
0: Um, well, the name, the name Rubio Fuerte, first of all, means strong, blonde guy. So it refers to me. Uh, that's a name that uh, a Peruvian friend of mine gave me uh, back in high school. Okay. <laughs> so long time ago. That's why uh, when I uh, got that alias and uh, used it for my own purposes and started using it, and yeah this brand building stuff that just came to me basically i focused primarily on the work that i do in the labs and just started to write i always wrote those kind of articles that i write on instagram Mm -hmm. the only difference is that now people have access to that to that work Um, i see and i have better opportunity to post stuff on much more frequently because when you have to publish something from the university with other co-authors and doing um, research and publish a paper mm-hmm. you, the frequency is not nearly as high because you have a lot of proofreading you need a lot of testing and stuff and instagram or that sort of work has the benefit that i can just go for it and speak also about my personal opinion and just mm-hmm. not try to um, uh, rationalize or um do everything conform with mm-hmm. uh, potential conflicting um parties that are trying to look critical on it i just can uh, i'm completely fine with people disagreeing with me and so i can stand for my own words and just uh, express my thoughts (laughs) that's what i use it for of course that's a bit restricted these days as well so you can't speak complete there's uh, no complete freedom um to talk about certain subjects without getting banned from the platform but still, I enjoy uh, writing, and that's why, why I built that. The brand building, um, doing that more professionally, um, just came to me by rising audience, just by posting stuff on the platform, right. basically. Mm-hmm.
2: So for someone who is very skilled and educated in a the subject, or many of subjects in a common theme, what, would, what advice would you give them to starting a platform like you would do, whether it's the amount of posts or the type of posts or the amount of engagement, the amount of words used, pictures used? What are some things that you found um, really worked for you and that you would advise people who want to do kind of the same thing to do as well?
0: Mm. I wouldn't do it. it give too detailed advice on these things. We can't I give
2: think. your secrets away. No, no, of course. No, no, no.
0: There's no secret in that sense. It's a uh, the thing is that primarily you have to do something that you enjoy doing because the basic thing is consistency. So if you want to build, I think that's my opinion. I'm not a professional brand builder or a social media marketer or anything like that. But I think um, what people like seeing is someone that uh, is consistent and obviously enjoys the stuff and makes it somehow what is an, another factor of course instagram is primarily about the visual effect so make that appealing mm. to the eye in some some way i like drawing cartoons <laughs> which comes uh, uh, into play on my instagram feed as do well you draw well. those do you draw of these no not all of them but some okay. uh, are my own work so sometimes oh, cool. i don't have the time and just put together Uh, some files that i find online that have free access Mm -hmm. and sometimes i uh, draw stuff on my own when i have i do that like in a meditative way so to say Um, right right (laughs) yeah no that's
2: cool that's really cool
0: yeah so i think the consistency is the is the main thing right and yeah you know i'm not a marketer in that sense so i can't give specific information on how You build a brand in a specific niche, but I think uh, contacting people in a specific niche on a platform like Instagram is not that hard as well. So Mm -hmm. people, if you have like a subject like medicine, nutrition, or soccer, it's not too hard to find the audience on a platform Mm -hmm. like Instagram. (laughs) Right. So if you have the time to put the work in that, um, interacting with these people is pretty easy on a platform like that. And then once again, it's about consistency. You can't expect to build up a brand within a week. So if you're not planning on, um, yeah, doing that for the next couple of years, I don't think there's a point, there's a huge point of starting it. anyway. Um, anyways, right. it's, it just doesn't, it, it won't work that way.
1: Right, it's a, it's a long, it's a long process um so here at footwork we always talk about making your own path i mean that's what this podcast is is about uh people that kind of made their own unique path whether that's in soccer or outside of football like yourself um and what does make your own path mean to you
0: Mm, well pretty much what i was already talking about i enjoy everything that i do i i come from a, a professional sports background i still train basically like, uh, like a professional. I try to still do that. I just enjoy these things and I enjoy the drawing. I enjoy uh, at some point um, when I have the, the free access to the labs and don't get too restrictive by certain interventions. I like being in the labs and I enjoy when people uh, get better and improve their performance based on my work. Um, that's the best feedback that I can get. That I can get, and um, when I have people fighting for championships, or if I have, um, yeah, people that get from the second major league to the first major league and signing their first contract in the, uh, in the on the highest level, and they come back to me and say that's all that's also um, related to you and your expertise. That's the best feedback. So that what's that's what's driving me forward.
1: Right love mm-hmm. that i love that um so yeah anything else still i mean that's i think no perfect place. i loved it
2: i feel like we just picked this brain so i'm I, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> in a way no
0: yeah. well yeah, that's perfectly fine and you know just uh jumping from one subject to the other a bit but that's perfectly yeah. fine a little a little, a little
1: the... bit of everything
2: <laughs> exactly oh, All of
1: yeah <laughs> um and where can people contact you if they're interested in working with you um well how can people contact you the the easiest way is to uh go onto my instagram
0: handle at rubio fuerte i don't have uh like free spots for professional athletes in the moment because Mm -hmm. i'm completely full with that Mm -hmm. but um like one-on-one consultations uh, to give something back to the audience is always possible Mm -hmm. you can apply by just sending me a direct message um on instagram for example and then um there's the option of working together with me in a session that's always possible
1: right right awesome Amazing. so until next time
2: keep moving forward keep learning make it your own path <laughs> there you go Love
1: appreciate it, it. thank Amazing. you for real thank you so much Muchas gracias.
0: Yeah, my pleasure thank you guys work is
2: sponsored by ourselves also kong Fitness and merchant design, baby follow us on instagram at footwork underscore podcast twitter is at footwork podcast youtube and facebook just check out footwork podcast search it email us if you need anything any questions at footwork at gmail.com and remember plug plug pass tell your parents amazon delivery guy mailman i don't know who just tell them like subscribe review all of it helps danke